0: Welcome to In The Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is a talk that I gave at the New Thought Church in Watermill, New York, in May of 2016. The talk is called, The Power of Empathy. In thinking about the theme, Connection, I suddenly remembered a story I heard in the 1980s. Uh, it was told a true story by a guy that I knew a little bit. Uh, he was part of a whole circle of um, Aikido practitioners, the martial art Aikido. I had a bunch, of, a bunch of friends in the Bay Area who were involved, good guys to know. And, um, and uh, his name was Terry Dobson. He died in the early 90s, but... He's kind of famous for this story, known as the train story, the true story. A turning point came in my life one day on a train in the suburbs of Tokyo, in the middle of a drowsy spring afternoon. The old car clanked and rattled over the rails. It was comparatively empty, a few housewives with their kids in tow, some old folks out shopping, a couple of guys studying the racing form. I gazed absently at the drab houses and dusty hedgerows. At one station, the doors opened, and suddenly the quiet of the afternoon was shattered by a man bellowing at the top of his lungs, yelling violent, obscene, incomprehensible curses. Just as the doors closed, the man, still yelling, staggered into our car. He was big, drunk, and dirty. He wore laborers' clothing, His front was stiff with dried vomit. His eyes bugged out in fury. His hair was crusted with filth. Screaming, he swung at the first person he saw, a woman holding a baby. The blow glanced off her shoulder, sending her spinning into the laps of an elderly couple. It was a miracle that the baby was unharmed. The terrified couple jumped up, and scrambled toward the other end of the car. The laborer aim, aimed a kick at the retreating back of the old lady. You old bag, he bellowed. His kick missed the old woman as she scuttled to safety. This so enraged the drunk that he grabbed the metal stand, the pole in the center of the car and tried to wrench it out of its stanchion. I could see that one of his hands was cut and bleeding. The train lurched ahead, the passengers frozen with fear. I stood up. Mm -hmm. I was young and in pretty good shape. I stood six foot and weighed 225. I'd been putting in a solid eight hours of Aikido every single day for the past three years. I liked to throw and grapple. I thought I was tough. Trouble was, my martial skill was untested in actual combat. As students of Aikido, we were not allowed to fight. My teacher, the founder of Aikido, taught us each morning that the art was devoted to peace. Aikido, he said again and again, is the art of reconciliation. Whoever has the mind to fight has broken his connection with the universe. If you try to dominate other people, you are already defeated. We study how to resolve conflict, not how to start it. I listened to his words, I tried hard. I wanted to quit fighting. I even went so far as to cross the street a few times to avoid the chimpera, the pinball punks who lounged around the train stations. They'd have been happy to test my martial ability. My forbearance exalted me. I was both tough and holy. In my heart of hearts, however, I was dying to be a hero. I wanted a chance, an absolutely legitimate opportunity, whereby I might save the innocent by vanquishing the guilty. This is it, I said to myself, and I got to my feet. This slob, this animal, is drunk and mean and violent. People are in danger. If I don't do something fast, somebody will almost certainly get hurt. Seeing me stand up, the drunk saw a chance to focus his rage. Aha, he roared, a foreigner. You need a lesson in Japanese manners. He punched the metal pole once to give weight to his words. I held on lightly to the commuter strap ahead. I gave him a slow look of disgust and dismissal. I planned to take this turkey apart, but he had to make the first move. And I wanted him mad because the madder he got, the more certain my victory. I pursed my lips and blew him a sneering, insolent kiss. It hit him like a slap in the face. All right, he hollered, you're going to get a lesson. He gathered himself for a rush at me. He'd never know what hit him. A split second before he moved, someone shouted, hey. It was ear-splitting. I remember being struck by the strangely joyous, lilting quality of it, as though you and a friend had been searching diligently for something lost, and your friend had suddenly stumbled upon it and said, Hey! I wheeled to my left, the drunk spun to his right. We both stared down at a little old Japanese man. He must have been well into his 70s, this tiny gentleman sitting there immaculate in his kimono and hakama. He took no notice of me, but beamed delightedly at the laborer, as though he had a most important, most welcome secret to share. Come here, the old man said in an easily vernacular, beckoning to the drunk. Come here and talk with me. He waved his hand lightly. The man followed, as if on a string. He planted his feet belligerently in front of the old gentleman and towered threateningly over him. Why the hell should I talk to you? The drunk now had his back to me. If his elbows moved so much as a millimeter, I'd drop him in his socks. The old man continued to beam at the laborer, not a trace of fear or resentment about him. What you been drinking? He asked lightly, his eyes sparkling with interest. I've been drinking sake, the laborer bellowed back, and it's none of your damn business. Flex of spittle splattered the old man. Oh, that's wonderful, the old man said with delight. Absolutely wonderful. You see, I love sake too. Every night, me and my wife, she's 76, you know, we warm up a little bottle of sake and take it out into our garden and we sit on the old wooden bench that my grandfather's first student made for him. We watch the sun go down and we look to see how our persimmon tree is doing. My grandfather planted that tree, you know, and we worry about whether it will recover from those ice storms we had last winter. Persimmons do not do well after ice storms, although I must say that ours has done rather better than I expected, especially when you consider the poor quality of the soil. Still it's most gratifying to watch when we take our sake and go out to enjoy the evening even when it rains. He looked up at the laborer, eyes twinkling, happy to share his delightful information. As he struggled to follow the intricacies of the old man's conversation, the drunk's face began to soften, his fists slowly unclenched. Yeah, he said, I love persimmons too. His voice trailed off. Yes, said the old man, smiling, and I'm sure you have a wonderful wife. No, replied the laborer, my wife died. He hung his head, very gently swaying with the motion of the train. The big man began to sob. I got no wife. I got no home, no job, no money. I got nowhere to go and nowhere to live. I'm so ashamed of myself. Tears rolled down his cheeks. A spasm of pure despair rippled through his body. Above the baggage rack, a four-color ad trumpeted the virtues of suburban luxury living. Now it was my turn. Standing there in my well-scrubbed, youthful innocence, my make-this-world-safe-for-democracy-righteousness, I suddenly felt dirtier than he was. Just then the train arrived at my stop. The platform was packed, and the crowd surged into the car as soon as the doors opened. Maneuvering my way out, I heard the old man cluck sympathetically. My, my, he said, that is a very difficult predicament. Sit down here and tell me about it. I turned my head for one last look. The laborer was sprawled like a sack on the seat, his head in the old man's lap. The old man looked down at him, one hand stroking the filthy matted head. As the train pulled away, I sat down on a bench. What I had wanted to do was muscle had been accomplished with a few kind words. I had seen Aikido tried in combat, and the essence of it was love. I would have to practice the art with an entirely different spirit from this day forward. It would be a long time before I could speak about the resolution of conflict." So here we have an example of, of empathy. Because connection is very much dependent on empathy that's a very, very powerful component and having having empathy for someone who we come to know is suffering and is in in terrible, dire straits in their life it's it's very, um, it's, in a way, it arises very easily once we know, Once, as soon as you heard, right? We're listening to the story, and there's almost a little part of us, maybe, that we're wanting Terry to get up and handle it, right? But as soon as we know, as soon as we know the backstory, our hearts open. It's good to remember, there's a, a quote I love, it's unattributed, no one can figure out who said it, but Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. We all know this is true, right? And even if you don't right now know it's true, it will be true. (laughs) You know? Sometimes it's very easy to generate more compassion, more empathy for those we know are suffering and who know that they're suffering, right? It can be a bit more challenging to generate empathy for people who are very self-satisfied and who seem to have everything and are doing uh, big things in their lives and who don't seem to have much trouble, especially for people who are pompous about it as well. We wouldn't know anyone like that in the Hamptons. (laughs) They too, though, are going to be fighting, if they're not already, fighting a great battle. And you also don't know, even with extremely rich people, they may have a kid on drugs, they they may feel lonely in their lives because everyone just thinks of them as a slot machine or something, out of which they might get money. You just don't know how... Until you walk in someone's shoes, you don't really know how it is. So to really have an attitude of empathy with whoever you're with, people who are troubled, people who seem to be on top of the world, right? And when they're on top of the world, it won't last. There's a stanza I love of Leonard Cohen's, The ponies run, the girls are young, odds are there to beat. You win a while and then it's done, your little winning streak. And summoned now to deal with your invincible defeat, you live your life as if it's real, a thousand kisses deep. Summoned now to deal with your invincible defeat. It's coming for everyone. And when we really let that in, when we just understand that every time you're speaking with someone, <coughs> then the, the arising of empathy becomes an automatic self unto self, right? It becomes the set point from which you move and speak and see and understand and listen. Now, this is also not to say that there isn't tremendous joy to feel empathic with them as well, right? Another component of empathy and of connection is feeling sympathetic joy. It's called, it's in, in Buddhism, it's called mudita, sympathetic joy. It means the arising of happiness when your friend is experiencing some wonderful thing or some success. And we also, as humans, we know that that doesn't always arise easily. Sometimes, even with our dear friends, some little jealousy might arise or, you know, kind of a why not me or those kinds of stories. But if you can, move the attention into this sympathetic joy to allow when someone you love or even just that you know is having some kind of success or wonderful situation, to let that happiness be a little contagious for you and thereby increase your happiness immensely in your life. If you can turn your empathy to this kind of sympathetic joy, you're guaranteed a lot more happiness. You're not only dependent on your own good fortune, right? You're, you're able to experience of great loveliness. And isn't it wonderful when you have a friend who you really know is happy for you? One of my best friends died uh, a year ago. Fantastic friend. He was a legendary film producer and a a philanthropist. He's an amazing person. And um, he would be like, the first person I would call when something good would happen because he would always say, Isn't that wonderful? And then he would brag about you behind your back to all all your mutual friends, you know. He, He was so clearly happy, you know, happy for your success, happy for something good in your life. That also produces tremendous connection. When you know someone's got your back, when they get the beauty of your trip, when they're on your team you really feel connected with that particular person. So this kind of, that kind of empathy, which I highly encourage, uh, has a sweetness to it. And it's not only, obviously, for the connection that you will naturally feel, it is also for your own internal well-being. Right? It's, it's just as these hymns we're singing this morning right we let the just let the doors blast open and let it roar through you for your own for your own sake okay thank you This has been in the deep. To support these podcasts, you can subscribe to this channel on iTunes or post a review there. If you'd like to know more about my work, book a private session, or make a tax-deductible donation for the ongoing production of the podcasts, please visit CatherineIngram.com. Till next time.